He is risen. Hey, hallelujah. You guys know what to say. That's my old Pentecostal. <laughs> I asked Rachel, I was like, do you think anybody's going to know what to say back? She's like, oh, I bet they will. Yeah. So before we begin, there are a couple of things I'd like to mention. The first is you've probably noticed that I'm dressed in workout clothes. I promise this is not my like Sunday Easter best. My grandma would be so upset. You know, she used to buy me those big poofy sleeve dresses that I hated. I'm going to be getting into the baptistry a little bit later here when we do baptisms, and I'm not going to have time to change my clothes. But as Caroline mentioned, you could have time to change your clothes. I always like to make space the mornings that we have baptisms for people who maybe you didn't plan on getting baptized when you arrived this morning, but somehow you feel moved during the service and you would like to do that, you are invited to do so. And so we have some black t-shirts and shorts and various sizes that are on that back table there. And later when we stand to take communion, you can just run back there, go to the bathroom, get changed. You should have plenty of time to do it before we do the baptism. So I'll just plant that seed here. The second thing that I want to mention, as you can see, there's this clear space up here on the floor. Our kids are going to come and they're going to join us to take communion and to watch the baptisms later today. So when we have our offering and the prayers for the people, the kids are going to start filing in there. So just know that we're expecting them and embrace them as they come and take communion with their family. So let me begin this morning then with a story. So back in mid-December of this last year, I started receiving some mystery mail. And the first piece of mail that came, it was in like an official looking envelope. And the return address was for a Canadian law firm, Ramshorn, Gregory, and Frum. So I opened it up and the document inside me told me that I have a long lost relative, Dr. Jules Swan, who had recently passed away, leaving me a small inheritance and some documents. And so this man allegedly worked for the Smithsonian. He was an archeologist. And then the letter told me that I should wait, and in 10 more days, I would get another piece of mail. So Rachel and I, our first thought is, okay, what kind of scam is this? What do they want from me? And so I ripped it up, I put it into the trash can, but just to be sure, I called my mom and just asked her, okay, do any of dad's uncles or great uncles, were any of them named Jules? No such luck. I was hoping for the small inheritance. <laughs> So then we did what any of you would do. Rachel went and got the, uh, the letter out of the trash can, and we Googled that Canadian law firm just to see what we could find out about this scam. And mysteriously, there's very little online. We just had like little clues on Reddit and on Twitter that maybe this wasn't a scam, but perhaps it was part of some sort of mystery box gift. Like someone could buy me a mystery. And then over the coming months, different packages would come and I would be able to like tell a story as I pieced it together. So I was intrigued. I waited, I watched the mail. December came and went, most of January came and went, and then I got a second package. And this one was a little bit more interesting. So in this package, there were letters, there were like bits and pieces of letters that you had to kind of put together. There were newspaper articles and it, like when it start, the story started to come together, it was that my long lost relative, Dr. Swan, had found a meteor at an archeological site that somehow made time travel possible. <laughs> there were like newspaper clippings, there were letters in Chinese. It gets even better, I didn't put this in the sermon, but it's actually like, I'm supposed to help with long lost lovers who are lost in time or something. <laughs> 
story still doesn't totally add up, but it was starting to take some shape by that second package. And I have no idea who sent this to me. I just know that they know me pretty well because it's a little bit of a cross between Doctor Who and Indiana Jones. <laughs> well, last Wednesday, a third package arrived in this. Yeah, so there was like burlap in it and all of these other old letters and newspaper clippings. And then there was this. This like three-paneled piece of art, maybe? We think it's kind of cool. It's got like star constellations on it. And because it's Easter week, we haven't had time to like look up the constellations and see what clues might be hidden here. All I know is that this is like the best gift ever. It is so cool. <laughs> this gift of an unfolding mystery is amazing. And so, oh, you're gonna love this transition. This reminds me of another story. <laughs> Probably the one you guys came to hear this morning. <laughs> Only I'm gonna try and do it by memory, so we'll see. This story took place on the first day of the week, and it was very early in the morning, and the women had prepared spices to take to the tomb. But when they got to the tomb, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, and when they went inside, the body wasn't there. They couldn't find the Lord Jesus. And so they were there, and they were wondering what had happened. And all of a sudden, two men were standing there, and they were dressed in clothing that was like lightning. And so the women said they were scared. And I thought, well, of course they were scared. The men looked like they had lightning on. And so the women, they fall to the ground and they put their faces on the ground. And these two men, they said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Don't you remember what he said to you when you were still in the Galilee? He said, the Son of Man is going to have to be turned over to sinners, to be crucified and to rise on the third day. And then the women remembered what Jesus had said. And so the women came back from the tomb and they went to the 11 apostles. And the women who went, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and some of the other women. And they went to the 11 apostles and some of the others and they told them what they had seen. But the men, they didn't believe them. They thought that what the women were saying was nonsense. But Peter, however, he got up and he went to the tomb to see for himself. And when he went in, he saw that the linen was lying by itself on the ground. And it said that he walked out wondering what in the world had happened. Now that same day, there were two people who were walking on the road between Jerusalem and Emmaus. Emmaus is a small village about seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they were walking, they were talking and discussing all of the things that had happened over the last few days. And as they were discussing these things, Jesus himself came up and started to walk alongside them. Only they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. And Jesus says, what, did it, what, are, what is it that you guys are discussing? And they said, haven't you heard? One of them's name was Cleopas. And he said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's been going on these days? And Jesus plays a little bit dumb. He says, what things? They said, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet. He was powerful in word and in deed before God and before all of the people. And the chief priests and the rulers, they turned him over to the Romans to be crucified. He was sentenced to death. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. 
But what's more, it's the third day since all of these things happened, and our women amazed us. They went to the tomb, and when they got there, they didn't find a body. And they said that they had a vision of angels who told them that Jesus was alive. And then some of the other disciples went, and they looked, and they also saw the empty tomb, but they didn't see Jesus. And Jesus said to them, he said, how foolish are you? How slow to believe all that the prophets have said. And then he went through, starting with Moses and going through the prophets. So this would be our Old Testament, what our Jewish brothers and sisters would call the Hebrew scriptures. He said, didn't the Messiah have to suffer all of these things before coming into his glory? And he went through the scriptures with Moses and the prophets, and he explained to them all that was said in the scriptures about himself. And as they approached the village to which they were coming, Jesus looked like he was going to keep going. But these two men, they said, look, it's almost dark. Evening has set in. Why don't you come with us and come to our house and stay with us? And so Jesus did. And when he got to their house, they sat down to dinner and he took bread. And giving thanks, he broke it. And as soon as he broke that bread, it says their eyes were opened and they recognized him for who he was. And then they turned to each other. He disappeared and they turned to each other and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us this whole time? How did we not know? Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked and opened the scriptures to us on the road? And so they got up and they returned to Jerusalem and they went to the 11 and the other disciples. And those disciples said, hey, guess what? Jesus is alive. He appeared to Simon and these two who were on the road to Emmaus said, yeah, we've seen him too. And he was walking with us and talking with us. And then he appeared to us and we recognized him when the bread was broken. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I find it really comforting to note that there's a whole lot of wondering, a whole lot of doubt, a whole lot of misunderstanding, a whole lot of unbelief, a whole lot of astonishment going on in this story. You know, Jesus... Things hadn't turned out the way that Jesus' disciples had expected, and so they were confused that morning. And what stands out to me here is that it took little to no faith on the part of these disciples for Jesus to come alongside them and to begin to reveal himself. It's interesting, right? It took little to no faith on the part of these disciples for Jesus to come alongside them and to begin to reveal himself. Our doubts and our uncertainties and our lack of understanding are no deterrent to the presence of Jesus. I think about these two people who are walking on that road to Emmaus. I mean, Jesus walked with them for hours. He came up to them and he first asked them, what is it you guys are talking about? I often find that that's how Jesus converses with us in prayer. Just, what are you thinking? He just starts conversationally. And so he's hanging out with them and he's talking and then he's teaching them through the scriptures and he's teaching them for hours and he starts to show them the stories of their people and how God was at work in their people from the beginning in their own story and how scripture gave these clues that pointed to Jesus as the fulfillment of their hopes. And what we notice is that this is Jesus here reinterpreting the scriptures to these two people through his own life and death and resurrection. This is Jesus reinterpreting the scriptures as people understood them through his life and his death and his resurrection because Jesus has the authority to interpret and to reinterpret the scriptures as he gives revelation of himself to his followers. 
Jesus is alive is the Christian confession. Jesus is alive is the Christian confession. The angels, why do you search for the living among the dead? Right? Do we search for the living among the dead? Why do you search for the living among the dead? He's not there. He's risen. He's alive. And if Jesus is alive, then he continues to speak and to give revelation to humankind about who he is and about how great his love is for these humans that he loves so much. And he has the authority to help us see scripture in a different light that's based on this revelation of who he is as he reveals himself to his global church. And I find it interesting in this story that it's not until Jesus breaks the bread that these two are able to identify him. Right? It's not until Jesus breaks the bread. And I think perhaps Jesus is recognized most poignantly in our suffering. Right? There's so much symbolism that is going on here. The night Jesus was betrayed, right, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. This is my body given for you symbolize the suffering he would endure in his death. It's the same bread that we take every week at communion, right? When we break that, we are identifying with the suffering and with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what we're doing here with baptism this morning, right? It's symbolizing the death and the resurrecting into new life. And we identify with the suffering that our Lord had with us. And in that suffering, that's when their eyes were opened. And I might be wrong about this, but it does seem to me that when we, we humans recognize that Jesus shares our suffering, right, when we recognize that he shares our suffering, that this is a God who is so humble, who just loves humanity so much that he humbled himself to become a human. Like we know, it's hard to be a human sometimes. It is hard. And Jesus, he would have gotten stomach upsets, cut himself. He experienced loss. He had aches and pains. He became a human. He was scapegoated. He was beaten. He was mocked. He suffered a loss of reputation. People made fun of him. He lived as an oppressed minority. He knows that experience. He lost friends. He lost loved ones. He even lost his cousin John to state-sponsored execution put to death by King Herod. He lost his father at some point. We don't know how. Jesus knew and experienced the full human range of emotions. And I think that when we experience Jesus's companionship in our sufferings, the poignancy of that shared suffering is perhaps the time that we see God most clearly because it reveals his great love and tenderness and kindness toward us. It was after these two disciples who were walking with Jesus, it was after they recognized them that then they gave validity to their feelings, right? It was after the fact that they realized, oh yeah, our hearts were burning within us. The presence of Jesus affected their physical bodies, their emotions. So yes, Jesus is revealed through scripture, but Jesus also reveals himself through these tangible experiences of his presence in our bodies. I often think humans can sense, can sense that there's something going on out there, oftentimes long before we can even put a name to what that is. And I think this is the part of the story that made me think about my mystery box. You know, I, I still don't fully understand what this story is that's coming through. I don't understand it, but it's fun and it's exciting, 
and I watch the mail, and Rachel watches the mail, and we watch the front doorstep looking for more clues, like, oh, good, will something be here? And then I wait for Rachel to get home so we can go through and discover it together. It has this sort of thrilling aspect to it. And I found that following Jesus is a little bit like this. That I know growing up, like, I felt like it was going to be something like an intense, angsty journey. And I suppose it can be at times because sometimes life is that way. But really, that's not what the path of Jesus is like. And it's not a path where we can see the whole big picture, where we're able to really see God clearly. If somebody's trying to sell you certainty, then they're selling you something. Right? The Apostle Paul says, we see through a glass darkly. But we can also be on the lookout for God in our everyday lives. So my experience is that it's much more like getting a mystery box where the more I look for God and I see him in nature and in beauty and in other people, the more I experience him guiding me in my own life that a picture has started to come together about what his character is like and how he's part of my story and I'm part of his and how we're all part of this story together. And it's this unfolding revelation And it's thrilling to look at every day like that. It makes us feel alive. So in a few minutes here, we're going to have baptisms. And we're going to be honoring people who are making a public confession to follow Jesus. And it's a confession inviting this mystery to unfold in their lives. And maybe your heart is burning in you this morning and you would also like to be baptized. So I want to invite you once again, that if you would like to do that, you are welcome to do it. Sometimes people get spontaneously baptized, sometimes they don't. It's no skin off my back, but man, it can like, if your heart is thumping and you're thinking that might be me, I would just encourage you, just go for it, because it'll probably be a year before we do these again, (laughs) right? So there's things back there. So let's take two minutes of silence before we head into prayer and communion. Now you can just take the two minutes and just focus on your breathing and on being thankful for what the Lord has done for us on this Easter morning. If you'd like to and you're willing, I invite you to do something maybe a little more challenging. Maybe you could just ask Jesus, where are you at in this room? And maybe he's right in front of you. Maybe he's doing something else. But in your mind, just visualize, where is Jesus at? Just watch and see what he's up to in this space. So I'll keep my eye on the time. I'll just say, come, Holy Spirit. We worship you on this morning as we celebrate your resurrection. And people make noise, so a little noise is fine.
Jesus, our hearts are thankful that we serve a living God, a God who identifies with our suffering as well as with our joys. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you for who you are. Amen.